So if you believe that black life matters and you don't advocate for black people to have the means to defend themselves, that's a contradiction. At the Freedom Fest conference in Las Vegas, I sat down with Maj Touré, the Philadelphia rapper who founded Black Guns Matter, a movement that advocates for Second Amendment rights and promotes responsible gun ownership in black and urban communities. There is a propaganda onslaught to convince the American people to operate and vote in their own disinterest. And if you're unaware of the framework of this place, and these are human rights, if you don't even know that, it's a lot easier for you to fall for the pump fake. We discuss the history of firearms in urban areas and his unique perspective on gun control policies and how they help or hurt minority communities. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelleck. Maj Touré, such a pleasure to have you on American Thought Leaders. Thank you for having me. So, well, you know, I'm looking at your shirt here. Yeah. Black Guns Matter. I think that's what you're known for. Yeah. Where does this name come from? It's a bit on the, let's call it edgy side, yeah. right? So, in 2015, when we started, this was the origin of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it, I just found it very interesting that this organization was saying Black Lives Matter, which they do, obviously. But a lot of the people that were promoting it were anti-gun. So if you believe that black life matters and you don't advocate for black people to have the means to defend themselves, that's a contradiction. You defend all life, more specifically black life, in areas where there's unconstitutional uh, Second Amendment violations and statutes. You protect that black life with black firearms as a defense of gun usage. That makes sense. To not put one with the other is a contradiction. So for us, we just understood the importance of utilizing firearms to protect life, especially in the communities where there's the most high amounts of this horrible practice of gun control. And that's where we needed to put the information, the classes, and the training the most. And Black Guns Matter was born. That's fascinating. I'm going to spin off so many things from what you just said. Before we go there, where does Maj come from? Like, tell me a little bit, pre-2015, yeah. you know, where, what, what's your background? My background is a Philadelphian that made music, that traveled around the country, that, you know, developed relationships with people, that I'm in one city and I'm selling mu my own music independently, and then I come back to that city. And you come back and your friend caught a gun charge. Not because he robbed somebody or tried to be violent towards anybody, none of that. He just simply had a firearm. Oh. Maybe he was, a, he, had a, he was a prohibited person, but he's in a rough neighborhood. He needs to have a firearm to protect himself. Then you do the same thing in a different city. Yo, where's such and such? He caught a gun charge. Some people, you know, would catch these gun charges just because they didn't know the rules. So you purchase a firearm lawfully from a gun store. Then you don't know you got to fill out extra paperwork to carry it on your person. So we just saw this recurring theme in our communities. And when you start to see something this repetitive, you see that it's not an accident. It's not a oops. There is a highly organized phenomenon to make sure that these communities aren't privy to the information. Now, some people that are privy to the information may say, well, you, 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 you would know that. No, you wouldn't. It's, it's like saying, you know, hey, you're a gun owner. Of course you'd know the four rules of firearm safety. Know someone that has never picked the firearm up before or took a class? No, they wouldn't. You don't know what you don't know. I've always wanted to help people that didn't have the information or weren't currently strong enough to help themselves. So if we give some information, give some support, 
these groups of people that transcend all ethnic backgrounds will now start to develop the means to help themselves, not this fake help that, oh, we're here to help you from the government. That's the most dangerous sentence you'll ever hear. And so this translates in being a person that's willing to speak up for people that currently don't know that they can speak up or may be afraid to speak up. And that's pretty much me in a nutshell at this point. So and you're also channeling Ronald Reagan. That might not that might be something that a lot of not a lot of people would expect, right? By saying it's the most dangerous thing you're gonna hear, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now there's some areas where I disagree with, you know, President Reagan. Um, obviously. But at the same time, that line rings absolutely true. The most dangerous sentence that you'll hear is, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And that's what we've saw in urban communities for decades in these communities, especially uh, ramped up more leftist policies in these communities. And so for us at Black Guns Matter, at you know the Solutionary Center, which is what we've created outside of just the firearms conversation, that's, that's our biggest uh, staple. The government isn't here to help. The government has a very limited role. The government does not have jurisdiction over your body as long as you're not doing things that are in violation of other people's property or their rights. And if you're not doing that, then the government has no jurisdiction over you at all. And to promote that ideology and make sure that it's uh, influenced and influencing uh, urban America is what tomorrow's presentation on the main stage here at Freedom Fest will be about. How do we spread the liberty message? These so-called progressives, which are actually regressives, they are fundamentally there because they know how to speak the language. Even if they're lying, in that language. They're there. We have not been there and we've lacked the programming to get this uh, thing moving forward. And that's what my presentation tomorrow will be about. The work that we've done, how that's important, and the benefit, the social, political, spiritual benefit that will happen to protect our republic in doing so. You just explained the values of your organization, but expound on that a bit more. Like, What, is, what do you see as the your core values that drive you? My values are Listen, bro, do your thing. Don't hurt other people. Don't take their stuff. It's not complicated. The problem is the freedom community generally that subscribes or liberty community that subscribes to that ideology can't really exercise it fully because we're dealing with people that want your stuff, that want your freedoms, that want your liberty. They don't know how to live and let live. So we have to now become a little bit more adamant in our approach to leave me alone. Because, you know, in essence, the fundamental difference between, uh, you know, an extreme leftist and a conservative or a liberty-minded person is a person that's going to utilize the state and the agents of the state to force the general public to do the thing that they think is the right thing. As opposed to a freedom-minded person such as myself that aligns with that value that says, Yo, if you don't want to do what I don't want to do, you don't have to. And I'm not going to use my individual will or power or the state to force you to do something because I think it's morally right. Live and let live. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Respect human and property rights. And let the chips fall where they may. And you can completely disagree with me. You can have a completely different worldview as me, but freedom and liberty dictates that I respect that. I respect that. You only lose me when you would use yourself or your, your agents of the state to attempt to force me 
into submission into your value system. And that's my ethos. So I want to jump back to the beginning. People call it an epidemic of gun violence. It's been on the rise in the last few years. Where is it the worst? Where are the biggest problems right now? The, the biggest problems that we and the world are seeing with violence in association to firearms is the American government restricting the human rights of the people to defend themselves. Because that's the source of all of the force. So for example, I'll clarify that. If I'm the bad guy and I know that no one in here can defend themselves lawfully and most people in here are going to be the law-abiding citizen. So if I know that most people in here are generally going to follow the law and the law says you can't bring a firearm in here and I'm the bad guy that doesn't follow that rule, that's where I'm going to go to do carnage. That's literally what happened in Buffalo. This, this weirdo kid said, wrote out the manifesto, hey, I'm going to go kill a bunch of black people, and I'm going to do it in Buffalo, New York, because the gun control laws are there, and these people won't be able to defend themselves. That is the American government, whether that's on a local, state, or federal level, not respecting the supreme law of the land, which is the Second Amendment as it relates to firearms, creating a space where bad guys can go shoot fish in a barrel. That is the biggest source of so-called gun violence in America. The American government that tells people what firearms they should have or who shouldn't have them and all of these different things, right? This is the same government that would sell guns to the Sinaloa drug cartel in Operation Fast and Furious. This is the same government that will leave billions of dollars worth of munitions in Afghanistan. Just leaving guns around for our enemies to just pick up and take. So they are the actual problem. They are not the moral uh, bar for safe and responsible gun ownership. Well, that Constitution and the Bill of Rights is, Rights is there to check government, not to check the people. But if we keep convincing people that, oh, this is for your protection or restricting the, the people, we're going to create another communist regime. That's what we're creating. The reason why the conversation about the Second Amendment and firearms is so important is because all of your other values and beliefs and all of those different things, if you can't defend them, you don't have them. I had the Philadelphia mayor last week say he was up in Canada a few weeks ago and he didn't think about a firearm. The only people that had firearms while he was in Canada were law enforcement and that's the way it should be here in Philadelphia. That's what he said. That means you're not fit to serve. You don't know the Constitution. You don't even know your job description. You're just winging it. And these are the types of things that we have to consistently remind the American people about. Because there is a propaganda onslaught to convince the American people to operate and vote in their own disinterest. And if you're unaware of the framework of this place, and these are human rights just codified, codified and respected and written down to check the government while protecting your human rights. If you don't even know that, it's a lot easier for you to fall for the pump fake. It's like poker. If I can bluff you, I can beat you. I gotta, the, the American government has a horrible hand. It's a horrible hand. But if we can keep convincing everybody that we're the answers, we have all of the answers, just shut your business down, let us handle it as if we're the moral or justified position to take, 
then the people will keep falling victim to it. But it's extremely simple when it's ex explained extremely simply. And that's what my skill set is. I have a very specific set of skills. Now, what about in the inner city? Because the, the sort of the people always say the epidemic of gun violence, this is what the statistics that I've seen tell me, right? The, the most of the vi gun violence is in the inner cities. Why is that? How does that happen? The inner cities also are extremely anti-gun. It's the bad guys. Let's say if we take St. Louis. If there's a thousand bad guys in St. Louis that keep doing the bad thing, and they got a soft on crime DA. I'm not soft on crime. I'm hard on crime. If you do an actual crime, violence, rape, unjustified killing, I want you to go to jail. But if you have a soft DA that's gonna now not even make that a gun charge, right? And you're playing this political game, and I'm the, one of the thousand bad guys that keeps the revolving door going. Yeah, of course the stats are going to show all of the gun. Mayor Kenny of my city said that the only people that should have firearms are law enforcement. He said that as the mayor of Philadelphia, which is the birthplace of America, where the Constitution was signed. Think about that. These people are not fit to serve. They're not. So the inner city can, continues that revolving door, and it will until more and more of the people come on the libertarian side, come on the conservative side. Until we come on that side, we're still going to have more of those leftist politicians that are going to push things that, quite frankly, have devastated urban America. Simple. You've said that gun control is racist. Yeah. Tell me about that. Gun control is racist. In practice, in origin, an expansion and outcome. What I mean by that is, even before, you know, even before emancipation, there were black codes, slave codes, that literally were designed and said, black people will not have the means to for, for firearms. Because you got to remember, the Second Amendment was about uh, every human has a right. But if you've grouped a group of people as not human, then they don't have the same rights. The Dred Scott decision is a perfect example of that where the Supreme Court got it wrong, and they changed it because they recognized that they got it wrong. My point in saying that is there were laws that came out of that racist practice. We do not want these subhuman people to have the means to defend themselves. Now, it's easier to say that then that way. Racism is very smart. There's a great book called The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. It talks about how racism operates even through the prison industrial complex. Gun control is about stopping black people, brown people, people of ethnic groups from having the means to defend themselves. It was when it was created. It was when states like North Carolina amended their state constitution to exclude every other group but white people. And it is an outcome now. Who's mostly impacted, which is the origin of our work, who's mostly impacted by firearms charges, possession charges? Not talking about guys out here robbing and killing. Talking about just having a firearm. Who is disproportionately impacted by the sentencing of being a so-called felon with the firearm? Black and brown communities. So we're looking at contradictory laws that impact black and urban America that are staunch contradictions to the supreme law of the land that has to change. So when I say all gun control is racist, it's not just because it's a cool t-shirt that we sell at blackgunsmattershop.com. It's because it's a fact. It's a fact. The origin, the maintenance, the expansion, and the current outcome showcases that to be accurate. And if anyone disagrees, I got plenty of time while we're in Vegas 
I'll be floating around eating and having drinks, copious amounts of wine, and I can explain to anyone exactly how I'm right and they're wrong. I mean, fascinating perspective. So the last thing you said is about, it, made, it reminded me of this idea of a quality of outcome. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And so where, where do you stand on the critical race theory view of racism then? So one, the things that are being presented currently, liberals are great at this. These current so-called liberals, or regressives as I like to call them, they're very good at taking something that people don't study a lot of and repackaging or rebranding it and calling it a thing that it's not. Critical race theory initially was the theory of showing how racism via state-sponsored legislation impacted communities of color negatively. That's what critical race theory actually is and was. What's being presented as critical race theory is like a white fragility course. Somehow white people are ex the, 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 like the, pr the problem with everything that goes wrong. Like my team didn't win game seven of the NBA finals, it's white dude's fault. You gotta just say that, oh, because I'm white, I'm wrong. I don't know what the hell that is. And what they're doing in these classes is trying to spin this false narrative that somehow because I'm melanated, and I'm a high school dropout that somehow I can't make a million dollars and it's impossible for me. Bro, I make a good living and I'm really handsome and I go to the gym and I work hard and I have the right to defend myself. I'm not gonna allow somebody to tell my children, my children are homeschooled. I'm not gonna allow someone to say that, oh, you were born into a system and it can't, and that's the danger of critical race theory, but again, these politicians that push this are poverty pimps. They have a vested interest in selling pain. And when we say, when we recognize that Nixon deliberately targeted urban communities with this war on drugs, when we say that cannabis prohibition was literally started to target communities, we can say we don't have to participate in that. We can say fall back. And we can also say, listen, don't ask for me to pay for your tax. I smoke cigars. If I, if I smoke too many cigars, we know, bro, lung cancer is in your future. Don't ask the general taxpayer to pay for that. You knew what you were doing. And I'm fine with that. We can follow these models and leave the people alone to their vices. That's what freedom and liberty is about. How many people get into car accidents and crash and run people over because they're drinking a lawful product? Again, freedom is not the safest thing. It's our way of life, though. We mitigate that, uh, the dangers of freedom by making smart, safe, and responsible choices. Flying on an airplane is not safe. That's how I got here. It is a large metal tube, 30,000 feet in the air, filled with highly flammable jet fuel. That's not safe. We mitigate how unsafe it is by doing things that limits the ability or the amount of accidents. But planes crash. They do. So the smarter mind is the person that says, let's pull back off of the government intervention. Let's educate the people about what actually happens when you take these products. The people that want to participate in it can. The people that don't, the market will either flourish or the market will disappear. No government intervention needed. And that also does not mean it's our job to bail you out. That's why we in this stagflation situation we're in right now. All of these bailouts. Freedom 
is going to cost. You have to be fiscally responsible. And there's no such thing as too big to fail. Your lungs were too big to fail when you kept smoking, and you knew it. Your banks don't deserve to be bailed out. Your policies of your airlines and pushing something that's not a law, but a mandate, they don't deserve tax dollars. You can't say private economy, but you're going dipping in and getting government assistance. How are you fortune big companies asking for welfare? This is not the American way. But we've fallen far from what the American way is and was because when that guy said, we're going to start making these government-ran schools, not about churning thinkers and hard workers, but about worker bees for the state and for these private companies, looking at you, Rockefeller, Department of Education. See, these are the conversations we don't want to have. We, now we're going into education. Now we're going into the pharmaceutical industry money. America was stronger and greater when we let Americans do what they needed to do and either sink or swim on your own. You make another company, you keep going. Government is a protection racket. Give us your taxes. We'll potentially send our shooters if you call us to protect you. But that works two ways. Because if you don't do what we say as government, you don't, seven, you don't make your seven-year-old wear the mask at the art museum in New York, we'll arrest your seven-year-old. If you're on a plane, I've been kicked off of plenty of planes. If you don't wear the mask, we're going to have the police come on and escort you off. That's not freedom. That is government overreach, and I'm not asking for the police in that space. If you tell those people you have the means to defend yourself and you shouldn't outsource your personal protection to somebody else, the irony is you're just calling a person with a gun. Cut out the middleman. Have a gun. Defend there. And by sheer nature of the bad guys knowing that you have a gun and you're a safe and responsible firearm owner that trains, that bad guy is going to be less privy to want to come participate in taking your stuff. Firearms are tools of personal protection. Firearms are tools of de of, uh, their deterrence. You know, these mass shooters seem to never shoot up a police station because they know they're going to catch something hot coming the other way. National response time for police is 11 minutes. The bad guy that's raping that woman or man isn't waiting around 11 minutes for the police to come to have a shootout with the good guy. Your personal protection is your responsibility. If we empower the people that way, not only will they not ask for police, but they'll ask to, again, be left alone more. We got this. So you're advocating for a pretty radical restructuring of society here, given where we're at right now, you know? And so let's, let's say we take, you know, let's take Philadelphia. That's where you're from. And you, you know, you're mayor now. Okay, what happens? So first, if I'm mayor, I don't think it's a radical restructuring. It's just getting back to the roots of what this nation initially was. Philadelphia was a place of religious freedom political freedom william penn when he created philadelphia that's what he created it to be women had rights in ancient philadelphia for lack of a better term so it wouldn't be a radical restructuring it would just be removing so much of the things that are in the way of that but if i'm day one mayor of philadelphia i tell law enforcement officers we want to support you we want you to go home we want you to be safe we only want you to chase three things, robberies, rapes, and unjustifiable homicides. We don't want you chasing parking tickets. 
We don't want you hiding and trying to write a ticket for somebody that has a broken taillight. That's not a quality improvement towards Philadelphians' lives. We want to say, if people are not violating property or people, we want to let them do their thing. In two weeks, we'd improve law enforcement citizen interactions. If we said, hey, we want to give the people of Philadelphia an opportunity to choose what school their child can go to for education. If we say, hey, if you want to, in the privacy of your home, smoke weed, we're not going to chase you about it. We're not putting those law enforcement officers' lives at risk, or yours. We say, if you want to set up a business in Philadelphia, we're going to remove so much of the bureaucracy. If you're a developer, we don't want to have to get you to pay an extra $100,000 under the table to the city council person because they have councilmanic privilege. We want to make it more open for you to just come and develop good business. We also want you to, to ask you, hey, we have some local contractors that we'd love for you to hire in exchange for maybe 10 years tax abatement. These are not hard concepts. They become more hard when the people that are poverty pimping, creating a lane for themselves, middlemanning, don't want liberty and evolution and actual uh, robust solutions for the community. They want to be seen as the middleman that presents it. Basically, I'd be Philadelphia's first libertarian mayor. Here, here's the thing, you know, and I get the sense you're, you, you're not really into masks from something you said earlier, okay? <laughs> um, the thing, Maj, that I discovered over the last two years that I didn't expect, yep. two, three years, okay, is how much some people in our society want someone, seems to me, want someone to tell them what to do, to tell them how to be, to take care of them. And I'm not talking children, I'm talking adults. Yeah. But I wonder, you know, the prescription that you're describing, mm. I don't know if that works for, th there's a whole lot of people who probably say, you know, Maj, I don't think I want that. I actually want the I want I want these people to tell me how to do it and to make sure I'm taken care of and not have to worry about the responsibility of taking care of myself. Yeah. Freedom dictates that they have the right to think that. And there'll be little dictators around to tell those people what to do. They always pop up. But given the choice in the education, if we're talking about reforming the thought process, they'll will develop more people that want to be personally accountable. And there will be people that say, no, 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 I don't want to do it. And I'll go, you have that right. You want to set up a commune and you guys work together and you guys want to pool your resources and be that commune. America creates the space for you to do that. Just don't bother us that don't want to live in a commune. You don't want a firearm? Cool. I'm not going to be like, no. You, I'm going to craft legislation that you have to have a fight. No, I'm not. That's the beauty of freedom. So recently the Supreme Court struck down this law around concealed carry, right? I'm guessing, I'm guessing I know what you think about that. Yeah. Why don't you tell me? Well, we wrote a brief on that. The New York State Rifle and Pistol Association in conjunction with another, a bunch of great organizations. We, we were actually mentioned in that Supreme Court decision. I work at Black Guns Matter. I don't live in New York. But I know that that's unconstitutional. If we get that precedent set there, we could roll it out to other places. I have a human right to defend my life as codified in the Second Amendment of the Bill of Rights of these constitutions of the United States of America. We can keep playing around like it's still an argument, but it's not. That's the framework of this place.
and I, as a free man, move about that way. So I'm glad that the Supreme Court did their job, which is interpreting laws or challenges to the law based on the Constitution. You know, the leftists are right now trying to say, we need more seats on the, on the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court does not make the decision for 330 or whatever the number is, million American people. They are there to interpret the Constitution. And they got it right this time. And I commend them for that. Huge shouts to them for that. It was a layup. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We threw them an alley-oop and they dunked it. Clearly, Black Guns Matter is, speaks to Black Lives Matter. I mean, we t you mentioned that earlier. But, and you've also talked about how you do see as America being systemically racist in the ways you described. Mm -hmm. how, how, do, how does your vision of the world be similar or different from Black Lives Matter? My vision of the world is I'm in alignment with Black Lives Matter as a phrase. My vision of the world is not I'm in alignment with Black Lives Matter funneling money into policies and politicians that are actually attacking black life. Their guy was Joe Biden. Joe Biden has made a career out of locking up black people and separating black families. These are the same people that say, that said all this, oh, you're separating families at the border. He has made a career out of locking black people up, the crack sentencing disparities. If you, you get this much time, if you got the same amount of crack, hard, or soft powder, that's Biden. Biden is the same person that says he didn't want his children to be raised in a racial jungle. Black Lives Matter is the, that's your guy. Black Lives Matter is in alignment with the guy that made the arrogant statement in Congress where he said, we don't even give judges the ability to make a decision on this. If they have this much crack cocaine, they gotta go to jail for five to 10 years. That's Black Lives Matter, that's your guy. And I'm talking about the brass, the leadership at Black Lives Matter, not the people that believe with the concept, right? Meanwhile, Hunter Biden, literally is measuring the crack and recording it for the world to see. I don't know what bigger level of contradiction there could be. So when I say Black Lives Matter as a, as a, as a statement, white people agree with that. But what a lot of white people are opposed to is this, let's destroy the nuclear family, let's promote an agenda, let's trick black people into operating in their own disinterest, which actually disempowers the black community. Let's go buy a bunch of mansions with the money, and I ain't seen none of that money get back to the black community yet. Just like the liberals, so-called liberals or regressives, like the repurpose words, I'm taking ownership of that, that acronym. It now stands for Black Libertarian Movement. That's mine now. And I may give it back when the $700 billion, uh, million, dollars, damn near a billion dollars, that Black Lives Matter funneled out of the black community, out of good meaning, well-to-do black and white and brown communities, to prop up our, our, our president, Joe Biden, who clearly is struggling with early forms of dementia. When you put some of those hundreds of millions of dollars back into black communities, I'll give you that phrase back. Until then, it's mine. It's the black libertarian movement. That's what that stands for now. And anybody that feels some type of way about it, 
I tweet my exact location. I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm in the Mirage right now. I'll be here the entire weekend. I'm going to have lunch at Pantry. I'm wearing a bright yellow shirt. Um, I'll be at the main stage tomorrow at 945. I'm in Vegas. I'm going to shoot over and box at Floyd Mayweather spot. I'll tweet my exact locations, and we can have a discussion about it. I'm American as the day is long. You know, Martin Luther King had this vision, yeah. right, of colorblindness. You've had some questions about that vision. Yeah. I want to understand how you think about it. I don't think Dr. Martin Luther King, who was a gun owner, by the way, who was denied a license to carry, by the way, by the state. I know they try to push the whole nonviolent narrative, but they also don't talk about the Deacons for Defense that defended the Student Nonviolent Coordination Committee, SNCC, and a whole nother lesson, but nonetheless. I don't think that Dr. King was saying, be colorblind. We're not dogs. That guy's darker. I, in the summertime, I get like a tan. Come on. I, 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 think he's, he, I think he was saying, treat everybody the same Boom. way, regardless of the color, right? And that's different. Yeah. That's like me saying, not recognizing the difference, but pretending like the difference makes one subpar. That's what an actual racist is. Me recognizing that, like, yo, okay, there are differences in different ethnic groups and cultures. That's not racism. And that's going like, yo, bro, like, clearly Kenyans are really good at long distance running. What are we talking about? Like, they murder it. They're better at it. They're better, right? That's not me being, does that make me racist? My point in saying this is there's a way to appreciate the differences and, you know, whatever, without making it be this thing that like, oh, I can't pretend like I can't see color. When Dr. King was saying that, he was saying, we're going to treat each other. If you're a horrible person, we're going to acknowledge you as a horrible person, bro. Like, I'm not going to just be cool with you because you're black, but you like the killer. Yo, you're a killer. I'm not. What are you talking about? You're the bad guy. Nor am I going to be like, well, you know, he's white. So this guy's clearly the oppressor. That's stupid. Now, when you start doing oppressive things, I'm going to be like, bro, back up, colonizer. Like, back up, bro. That's the difference between content of character. When was the last time we saw libertarians or Republicans actually campaign in blue cities? Does anybody? No? We call them unwinnable districts. Kimberly Klasick, my friend, ran in Baltimore, raised $8 million, rumbled. And I saw other conservatives telling her, you're just wasting time. Even if she got this much of a step in that direction, Trump increased the black and brown vote on the right side. Not because he was pandering. You know, when he said in Detroit, he said, hey, you go outside, you get shot, you got no jobs, a vote for me, what do you got to lose? People in the hood was like, hey, I, I respect the honesty of it. We ain't about the pander life. We're about telling the truth. And if we aren't doing that, the leftists are going to run with that baton. We keep handing them the baton. The underdog story is about winning against all odds. So when we as conservatives, libertarians, Republicans say these are unwinnable districts, that is the most un-American lesson that we could tell people ever. And that transcends any ethnic background. Any final thoughts as we finish up, Maj? Any final thoughts? I said a lot, man. You know, the final thoughts are be kind, be loving, be courageous. Be brave. This is our republic, and we can save it. 
if we're willing to put in the work. Support the work that we're doing at the center, givesendgo.com forward slash solutionary. Help out when and where you can. Don't hurt people. Don't take their stuff. Be safe. Be solutionary. Homage Touré, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you all for joining Maj Touré and me on this episode of American Thought Leaders from Freedom Fest. I'm your host, Yanya Kellek.